So the title of this morning's message is Jesus Said. And uh, so I'm excited about this because when in our text is actually Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And I don't know if it's too small on the screen up there, but I'll read it to you. It says, The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, concerning all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. And to whom he presented himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking concerning the kingdom of God. Being assembled with them, he commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father of which you have heard from me. For John baptized with water. Hmm. Glory to God, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, he said a lot in this scripture. And what the Lord was showing me and what he wanted me to speak about particularly today, and it's good to have you with us. Welcome aboard. Um, in the, the first verse, he says, concerning all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's talking to, even though it says Otheopolis, right? He's talking to us because all of this trickled down through the apostles to us. It didn't stop with the apostles. So he's literally speaking to us. Here's what I want you to do and to teach. So our text is Acts 1, 1 through 5. And what I did, what the Lord showed me, is I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and I looked specifically at the times and references in the end chapters of each one where they talked about what Jesus said to them when he appeared to them after his death, burial, and resurrection, prior to him ascending to heaven. And so it's all scriptural because I don't want to take liberties with the Word, right? I want you to receive the Word of God, not the Word of Chris. And, and that's what's important to me. And so the things that we're going to be looking at specifically, he talked about concerning all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And I have reference, uh, I'm not going to go into them because they're, they're a little bit lengthy. Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35, they show you that Jesus went about teaching, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all sickness and diseases. These are the things that Jesus did. Now, it also says in Acts 1, 1 through 5, that he gave commandments to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. So he still uses the Holy Spirit today to speak to each one of us and to, to command us. And that's so good. It, it never ended. And so, yeah, we can still hear from God, from Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, as He leads us. Amen. Now, Jesus chose His apostles. Jesus didn't take 
a uh, it, it wasn't Jesus and the devil standing there going, "Okay, uh, you get first pick, I get second pick." Uh, you know, I pick Joe, you pick Fred, and there's the last guy standing there, and everybody goes, "Well, I don't want the last guy, right?" It's not like that. It's not playground rules. They they, they weren't actually you know randomly picking. They they knew they watched and yeah. observed people before they chose. Yes, and Jesus was specific in who he chose, even though it wouldn't. If we'd have looked at the pool that he picked from, we wouldn't have picked those people. You know, we would have, it'll, did it blink off? It blinks. I'm not sure why it's blinking this morning, but it is. Um, anyway, we wouldn't have picked those people. I mean, who would have picked a bunch of fishermen? Brother Kent, how you doing? Good. It's good to see you today. He wouldn't, we wouldn't have picked those people. You know, I'm pretty sure the fishermen, they just came in off the boat. They probably still smelled like water and nets and fish. And, you know, if you've ever worked anywhere near a fishing vessel, it's not the most pleasant smell. Yes, even the fish markets. The, yes. Your cooler after being at the lake doesn't smell very good. Cold storage, yeah. Uh, so he was purposeful in choosing his apostles. And, uh, and not only that, so he taught them the whole time. The whole time he was with them. He was teaching them as well as he was teaching everybody else. But then he would pull them aside afterwards and he would spend time fellowshipping over the word that they heard that day. Okay? When we did Bible study this morning... We fellowshiped over the Word of God. We sat together as a small group and we talked about Scripture. We talked about His Word. We went deeper in it than just hearing it. That's what Jesus did with the apostles while He was alive and walking in the flesh. Then even after His death, His burial, and His resurrection, you can see... He spent another 40 days after being resurrected, before he ascended to heaven, he spent 40 days of his life with them teaching about the kingdom of God. Well, why would he do that unless he was preparing them to teach others? And that's exactly what he was doing. He was teaching teachers to be teachers. And their job was to go out and teach teachers to be teachers. And that's continued. That's our job too. That's why discipleship is so vital to the body of Christ. Because we, we're not only receiving, but we're not a reservoir. We're a river. That's why Jesus always talked about rivers of water. He didn't talk about a stagnant body of water because we receive the word, we receive revelation, but we have a duty and a responsibility to pass it along to others. And that's all a part of discipleship. That's a part of teaching teachers to be teachers. And so he spent 40 days with them and he spoke to them and he continued to teach them concerning the kingdom of God. That's so good. So, what did Jesus, excuse me, what did Jesus teach in those 40 days? 
Scott, can I get you to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20? I'll give you a minute to find it. I'll, I'll read it out in the modern English, which is what I've got, but I want to hear what you're... Now, you're coming out of the NLT, right? Yes. Okay. So in the modern English, it says, Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so what's the NLT say? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. 19. Therefore, go make go make all disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of age. So, is there a, a verse 21 after that? So, and is that the last chapter in Matthew? Yes. Okay, so this was after the resurrection, but right before he ascended into heaven. He's teaching them and giving commandments. Do these things. Okay? And that's what I want you to see. This is part of what he taught in those 40 days when he was in and out of these men's lives. Now, if you want to see some really incredible things, I didn't include all the Scripture because it's so lengthy, but you'll see in different occurrences where Jesus, the doors are locked in the gathering place because the apostles, the disciples, were in fear of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they were gathered together in a place, had the doors and the windows shut and locked, and yet Jesus walked in. He didn't open a door. He just walked in. And came in the midst of them. We have a Jesus that cannot be locked out. The only way He can be locked out is through our heart. If our heart says, nope, I don't have room for you today. I can't receive you. Then we can lock Him out that way. But a physical lockout with Jesus is not possible. I got a question though. When they were in there and they had everything locked, the reason for it being locked and shut because they would lose their lives if people seeing them praying, or is that the reason why they had it locked? Yeah. Yeah, because the Pharisees thought that they had put an end to the way when they crucified Jesus. But when when the body disappeared from the tomb, the Pharisees got in fear because they knew prophecy had been fulfilled. They knew they had done wrong. And so now, all they can do is go after the ones who were with Jesus and try to, to kill them or run them off or get them into fear so that they don't continue what was called the way. 
And so, yeah, they were all together in, in, in a certain location, locked up. And these are the 12 apostles. Well, the 11. Judas Iscariot hung himself. Um, these were the 11, and they were together and in fear for their lives. They saw what they did to Jesus. And in their mind's eye, in their natural thinking, the prophecies that they expected to come true was that Jesus would raise up an army and defeat the modern world kingdoms and He would be the King over the earth. But they were looking at it through the flesh. They missed that the prophecy was actually speaking about the spiritual side because everything happens in the Spirit before it ever happens in the flesh. And so, Jesus dies, He's buried. Even if His body's missing, they're still confused because they expected a physical kingdom. That tells us we've got to be careful what we're setting our expectations on because if, if I take something out of the Word of God and I, and I take it in the natural and I don't bring it through the, the spiritual to the natural, but I just take it up here in my mind. And I say, yeah, God likes to give good things to His children. I'm His child. I want good things. So I want this, and I want that, and I want the other. Well, if I'm doing it through my mind and not through my heart, then the hazard is I'm going to be disappointed because it's not going to come to fruition. Because my flesh desires it. It's not that my heart desires it. It was one of the things I learned growing up in the Word uh, once I gave my life to Christ. The more, more time you spend in the Word of God, the more your desires become in line with His desires. Now, is desiring a new vehicle wrong? No. The problem with Material things, and this is where people get hung up, even with money, a lot of people will say that money is the root of all evil, and it's not. It's the love of money. So if I've got my heart set on that vehicle and not on Christ, then that vehicle is an issue because I've got my heart set on the wrong thing. And that's what these guys had done. They had set their heart on a physical kingdom. And here they go through the death, the burial, resurrection, and they are thoroughly confused. I mean, Peter, come on. Peter came to Jesus' aid in the garden. He's going to just slice and dice and, and, you know, I'll get you out of here. And he cuts the, uh, the, yeah, the servant of the, the chief priest, cuts his ear off. You know, because, hey, I'm going to take care of it right here, right now in the flesh. And Jesus is like, no, put that away. You're not understanding what's happening. And so we can be that way too. We can be rash with the Word. We can not give it careful consideration, right? So you're saying it's like how we speak it out is how it's going to be taken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where your heart 
eventually what will happen is instead of getting up, you'll, you may get up one morning and go, I'm going to have a bad, and your heart goes, uh-uh. Your spirit man's standing there screaming, doing jumping jacks, trying to get your attention, and he's telling you, shut up. Be quiet. Um, I did hear one pastor tell another pastor at one time, you need to learn the vocabulary of silence. And it offended him because he was like, forget you. What do you mean? I need to learn. You're telling me I need to learn shut up? And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. If we don't give consideration of what we're speaking before we speak it out, we can say things that are counterproductive to the Word of God. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely something we got to watch. But in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's the end of, cha- of chapter 28. It's the end of the book of Matthew. And he's telling him, look, all authority has been given to me, Jesus. Now, I'm going to give it to you. Go do my works. Right? In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, again, what did he teach in those 40 days? He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who is who excuse me, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Yeah, it's Mark 16 uh, verses 15 through 18. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So we can see, again, this is at the end of the book of Mark. And he's giving them instruction prior to ascending to heaven. And a lot of times we call this the Great Commission. Um, The one thing I want you to see in Mark, so he gives this instruction. And how do we know this is the end of it? Well, if you look at verses 19 and 20, it says, So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, And they went out. They heard him. They heard his instructions. And in 20 is the evidence of what they did. And they went out and they preached everywhere. The Lord, excuse me, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Let no man come before you and tell you it has ended. It has not. The signs are ours. The workings, that is Jesus in us, through us, in this world. He's the one that does the works with us that create the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the things that attract the world to us because they can't comprehend it. That's what signs and wonders and miracles and healings and those kinds of things are for, is to pull 
to be a witness to them, to pull them in. And people will tell you, well, that ended with the apostles. But there's a, a problem with that because Jesus anointed or ordained, however you want to look at it, 70 disciples to go out and spread His Word. Not just the 12. He did 70. But then He also turned around and through the apostles, through the teachers, teaching teachers, has taught us through the generations, this still exists. This is still ours. I don't have 19 and 20 up there, but when it says in, in verse 20, and they went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and the Lord confirming the Word through the accompanying of signs. Okay? So not only is He doing the works in us, through us, but He's confirming the works through His power, through His authority, through the signs and the wonders that are happening. And we can stand back and look at those signs and wonders and be amazed too. We should be amazed. Anytime somebody, if you look at any of the old tent crusades, just go on YouTube and look for some of them. It doesn't matter who it is. There's so many greats out there who, and I shouldn't say greats, there are so many men and women out there who had ministries with signs and wonders accompanying, and still do today. But we don't see it as often today as we should. First Baptist Church of Tallinn-Oxy should be seeing signs and wonders and miracles. Because in First Baptist Church of Tallinn-Oxy are believers. Holy Spirit-filled believers. All right? And so you can go out and, and do a search. There's John G. Lake. There's A.A. A. Allen. There's uh, William Seymour. Um, there are so many uh, Oral Roberts, and and they have. And I mentioned these people because video had started to come into the common place where they could actually video these tent revivals, right? Now William Seymour, no, he was in the early 1900s, part of the Azusa Street revival, and John G. Lake and all of those, but as as loudly as the world would tell you that these things don't exist anymore, they do. And so we shouldn't allow people to tell us that doctors are your miracles. Uh, you need a financial consultant. That's the only way you're going to prosper. You need this because, you know, the world says you need it. Um, if you want to be young looking, you need to do this, this, and this. I mean, there's a billion cosmetic companies out there that will mix ingredients a thousand different ways and sell it to you. And when it outlives its usefulness in one area, they'll figure out another use for it, and then they'll remarket it and sell it to you again. And I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the most beautiful people in the world are believers and I have to believe it has to do with the fact that they have the peace of Jesus Christ in their hearts and their lives are not in chaos and they're not in torment. But you can take a look 
at certain people in the public world, and I'll use public names because everybody's seen them, and one of the most drastic changes in a woman that I have seen, and that I've seen where they have shown pictures of her prior to office, and it's that's uh, Mayor. Look her up if you don't know who I'm talking about. But just the com- even just the complexion of her face and her hair, from before being in office to the time as she came into office, and the more radical she gets. And I'm going to be blunt about this. The more radical she gets, the uglier she gets. Spiritually and then physically. Because it happens in the spirit first. The way she looks today isn't how it manifested. It manifested in her heart first and she turned her heart away from God and she started running with the enemy and her heart got ugly. And it manifested in the flesh. It's the same with believers who have the peace, the love, the joy, the the fruit of the Spirit working in them. I've run into people who are just hard after the Lord, believers, and they're in their 80s and you wouldn't know it. I mean, it just amazes me. And it's like, what are you doing? Because I want to know. You know? I mean, it's... so. It does reflect in us. It, it manifests in the Spirit first. And so these signs and these wonders, it's not us doing them. We're just the vessel that, that Jesus can use to do them. It's not our power or our authority. And that's why I, Pat's real good about correcting me if I say something out of context or out of line, but... It's one of the reasons that when you see a preacher or a minister or a pastor and they say, I can get you healed. I can get you rich. I can do this. I can can do nothing in your life because the one that does it in my life is the Holy Spirit. And the only one who's going to make a difference in your life is the Holy Spirit. You cannot infect or infect, affect change in your own life. Permanent Holy Spirit driven change comes through the Holy Spirit. That's where these guys had to be refined. And I, I do believe that's where those 40 days that after the resurrection that was necessary for Jesus to come back and say, okay, look. I taught you. I told you what was going to happen. It happened. Now let's get you beyond it. I've got 40 days and I'm going to raise you up and bring you beyond what you thought was supposed to happen and we're going to walk in what did happen. Glory to God. I can't imagine. I mean, for Jesus to walk through and be in your living room and you've got all the doors and windows locked and you look up and you're like, whoa. And, and for him to stand there and go, yeah, it's me. Don't worry. Don't get afraid. It's just me. Now, let's spend some time together and I'll teach you. Man, 
who wouldn't want that personal experience with Christ? Yes. Yeah. The only, like I said earlier, the only place he can't get to is that heart that's been closed off to him. And we can do that. Look at Israel. All you have to do is go back and study Israel and you will see he called them stiff-necked. He called them hard-hearted. He couldn't get through to them. It didn't matter how many signs and wonders and miracles he did for them. There was a rebellious generation who had come under slavery through comfort and he could no longer get through to them. He had to have one man, Moses. In that whole generation, one man. And in the next generation down, two men, Caleb and Joshua. Three men out of, I think there were over 600,000 men, not counting women and children, that came out of Egypt, out of slavery. And you've got three men who believe what the Lord God says to them. And you can't count Aaron because Aaron fell to the peer pressure and he took the gold earrings from the people and he created the golden calf and then he couldn't even fess up to it. He said, oh yeah, I just threw the gold in the fire and up jumped the calf. Okay, and so, you know, but those are the stiff-necked, the hard-hearted. Those are the hearts that say no to Christ and he has no access to them. He can surround them with God-fearing people. He can send laborers to the field. That's why it's so vital for us to pray. And I'm a little bit off subject, but it does pertain. It's so vital for us to pray, Lord, surround them with wise and godly counsel. Send the laborers to the field. Replace their hard hearts. Replace their hearts of rock with hearts of flesh. Open their eyes. Open their ears. Because what do we want to have happen to them? We do. We want the Word of God to get in their eyes and in their ears and through that to their heart. Because if you can get the Word of God in their heart, their spirit man's going to scream for more. And they're going to give their life to Christ. And He wants them. I mean, it's just... And that that's where I say the more you grow in the Word, the, the more your desires become in line with His desires. Because I can go to work or I can go out in the public and, and see something and the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I want that person. Well, if I can't witness to them, if I'm not in a position to witness to them, I can pray over them. Okay? And that was part of what Jesus taught these guys. Right? So, in Luke... Chapter 24. And we're going to look at verses 44 through 49. And in Luke, he's lengthy. I actually cut quite a bit of Scripture out of Luke and out of John. Um, they were men who liked to talk. They had a lot to say. So let me get to Luke 24. Like I said, verses 44 through 49. So, in Luke, in verse 44, he says, He said to them, 
These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Okay, so we know just by that one scripture right there, these are the words that he spoke to them already. He was already teaching them this while he was walking with them. In verse 45, he says, Then he opened their minds to understanding to understand the Scriptures. When we talk about revelation of God's Word, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to a Scripture or to a Word, to God's nature, and allowing us to receive understanding. Because through revelation comes understanding. That's what he did here. So see, he's not, he's not doing a new thing with us that he's never done before. He's doing the very thing with us that he did with the apostles and with the disciples of his time. And in verse 46, he says, He said to them, Thus it is written, and accordingly it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so there's instruction there. There has to be repentance. And repentance is just simply the, the head knowledge that the direction I'm going is not working. I need to turn around and I need to go back this way because there's something greater behind me. And that something greater is my salvation. And I, I'm going to run to that. It doesn't even have to be a heart, a heart thing. It could totally be a head thing. But it's repentance. So you're going to turn, you're going to do an about face, you're going to go back to God. And he's saying here, that's what's got to happen is repentance. And then the remission of sins. These things need to be preached so people know and understand how to get to Christ. It's not complicated. The Romans' road to salvation is, is a, great, uh, a great way to lay that out. It's a great road map. Now, should be preaching in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. He says, you've already seen me do it. Not only have you seen me do it, but I've sent you out to do it yourself. You are the educated ones. You are the ones who know how to do this. And you're witnesses of these things. And he says, and look, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. He says, even though I've come and I've taught you and I've walked you through these things and I've corrected you and, and lifted you up when you doubted and even though all these things have happened, even though I died on the cross and I was buried, I've come back up because you need to know that there's a promise from Father God for you 
And I need you to be prepared and I need you to wait so that you can receive it. Now, this wasn't all that went on in there. Okay, so if I look in, in here, it doesn't end with verse 49 like I picked. But 50 through 53 deal with His ascension. So these are some of the last things that, that Luke captured that were taught prior to Jesus Christ ascending to heaven. This took place after His death, burial, and resurrection in that 40-day period. And it belongs to us. So anytime we doubt, what, what did Jesus do in those 40 days? We just have to go back and look through some of these scriptures and we will see and know and understand He prepared them to prepare others. He lifted them up, strengthened them, And we're not going to touch on it today because we're just doing Acts 1, 1 through 5. But if you go on into Acts chapter 2 and, and on, what you're going to see is this promise that the Father gave that Jesus was talking about is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because there's baptism in Jesus Christ and there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. So this baptism in the Holy Spirit with it comes power. Right? Isn't that what he said? Let me see. Uh, let me go back to where that was. Then he said, is this written? Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he's letting them know. Wait. God has promised. And you're going to receive. And as you go through and you receive, what you're going, as you read in Acts further, what you'll see on your own is that, take Peter. Peter was rash, doubtful, a little unbelieving, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before Acts 2.2 where he received the power from on high that Jesus spoke to him about. But if you go on through and you read in Acts, what you're going to find is that the after effect of the Holy Spirit coming into Peter, coming on Peter, was that he received a spirit of boldness and he was no longer that rash Peter who slices ears off of people. Yes. Yes. Exactly. They get the gifts with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come alone. But what's that say to us? That means those gifts are there for us too. Right? Right? So when we receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we know those gifts are on tap for us. So there is a boldness that comes, a confidence that comes through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Peter was two totally different guys 
prior to, and then after. He couldn't, he couldn't contain himself before. He just, he just acted. And we'll cover some verses where you see he just acted because he hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. So in John uh, chapter 20, and I shortened this one down. Again, some of these guys talked a lot. And for, for what I want to cover, I just had to shorten it down. Uh, so we'll look at John chapter 20, and it's verses 21 through 23, and then 26 through 31. And you got to remember, John is the disciple that Jesus loved. Okay? And those are John's own words. So John chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 21. Glory to God. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Jesus doesn't even enter a conversation without giving a command. He didn't say, hey, you know, here's my peace if you want it, take it. No, He said, peace be with you. And His peace is a conquering peace. It's an overcoming peace. It's a peace that is powerful. It's not a, a peace like we in the world seem to, like worldly people look at and we go, oh yeah, peace is a quiet afternoon and nobody bugs me and all. No, no. Peace is a verb. It's an action. It's a power. It conquers. Think about the storm. And Jesus asleep in the back of the boat on a pillow. What did He say to that storm? Yeah. And He wasn't asking. It was a command. He enters in with these guys in John 20 and He says, Peace. Be still. He's telling them. He's given a commandment. My peace be on you. And the ones that um, that didn't didn't have the peace in them, they had to wake him up and it was tell him, "Hey, this is going on. What do we do?" Yeah, yeah, it was all of them. I mean, come on, you want to talk about a rude awakening? You're sleeping on a pillow and you wake up to a group of twelve guys standing around you going, <gasps> and you're like, and to put it all on, what do we do? Right. Well, they'd seen him do all these miracles. They'd been traveling with him. But at that moment, for some reason, fear overtook him. Right? And so when Jesus walked into the room without a door or a window being opened for him, on occasion they said, Oh, wait a minute. Get back. It's a spirit. And Jesus is going, no. Touch my hand. Put your hand in my side. I'm flesh. Give me something to eat. I'll show you. I can eat things. Okay? And, and so, when He walks in and He says, peace be with you. He's already given a command. That peace is to go out and conquer the fear that's in that room, in that environment, and bring them back down 
to a place where they can receive from Him. Because when your smoke detector goes off in the middle of the night, thinking is not what you do. Reacting is what you do. Okay? Right? And so, fear causes you to react. It doesn't cause you to stop and think. And He's telling them, no, peace be with you. Shh. Stop. It's okay. How many people have calmed down a crying baby? you got to get them to, to stop crying so that you can find out even what's going on. And that's what He's telling them. Be quiet. It's okay. And, and that power and authority in the words He used calmed them. Calmed them enough where they would actually reach out and touch His hands. Touch His side. Okay? So, we go into... So that was 20, 21 through 23... So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. John captured this so well. So here we have God the Father sending the teacher to us, to the apostles. And he's saying right here, look, now I have taught you, I have preached to you, I've raised you up, I've educated you, I've prepared you for what I'm going to do with you. God sent me out, now I'm sending you out. And you're going to do exactly what I did. With the exception of the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. We don't need to do that because He did it once for all time. But the teaching, the preaching, the healing, the workings of miracles, the signs, the wonders, these are ours to do and to teach. So in 22 it says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What did God do to Adam after he had formed him from the dust of the earth? He breathed life into him. Right? And so when Adam fell, we became subject to the law of sin and death. And our spirit man died. Well, Jesus here took a group of men whose spirit men were dead, and He picked them up, and He breathed the life of Christ in Him. He breathed the Holy Spirit into them. We didn't have to experience that part because when we go all the way through Romans and we see that we just need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our heart, right? That's the same as having Jesus stand before us and breathe the Holy Spirit into us. Because it's a separate act of what happened in Acts 2.2. Acts 2.2 2 was the Holy Spirit coming on them. Not the Holy Spirit in them. Where we have the baptism in Jesus, even though we don't know Jesus physically as they did, 
Jesus, in this moment, baptized them in himself, giving them the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, the teacher. And he had to because he knew he was going to ascend. And he did. In the Scripture, the verses after this, you see he, he ascended into heaven. So he had to give that finishing touch, that preparation. Glory to God. And, and so, receive the Holy Spirit. 23, it says, If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. After eight days. So, eight days later, His disciples were again inside the doors, with the doors shut. This time, Thomas was with them. Yep. At one time in his life, he was doubting Thomas. Now, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Again, his first words uttered to him was a command. It's like blowing in a baby's face when they're crying. Anything to break that, that reaction so that now you can get a thinking process and a hearing process going so that you can communicate. Right? It's no different. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, because Thomas had doubted, because Thomas had said, unless you, you know, I can put my hand in the hole in his finger, or my finger in the hole in his hand, or I can stick my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And so he says to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand here and place it in my side. And then he commands him. This isn't a question or a request. He commands him, do not be faithless, but believing. And he goes on and he kind of explains this. He says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Here's where you and I come in. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. That's why he told Thomas, don't be doubting. Don't be faithless, but be believing. It's a message for you and me that we, we need to put that faithlessness aside and we need to believe because when you believe on Him, you receive Him. Now it goes on in 30 and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. There is not life in any other name. Only through Jesus. Glory to God. And we're coming to a close. So John, if we just flip over to chapter 21, 
and we'll go to verses 15 through 17 here. Again, these are not the last verses in this chapter. Okay? And in 15 it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, so to set this up, they haven't seen Jesus in a bit. They've been out fishing. And they come back and He's on the shores, right? And they go through all of this. And it says in 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, He picks him out. I think there's some significance in this. I like the number three because you have God is the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. I like that man is threefold. We are spirit, we're soul, and we're body. A lot of things in this world are threefold. Okay? Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus, in this conversation, He comes specifically to Simon Peter. <laughs> and He says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? Now, some people say He was talking about the fish that they caught. Which, if you stop and think about it, it would be like Jesus asking us. Because, if you look at it, Jesus, they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus walks up, He's on the bank, and, and they don't recognize Him right away. And He yells out, put your net on the other side, just like He did when they first met. And they hauled in a load. Now Peter and John recognized. Well, John recognized first, and then Peter took action. Again, rash, what did Peter do? He jumped in the water and swam to shore, not waiting for the boat to get there. Right? So this is setting all this up. So Jesus is saying to you and me, do you love these material things more than you do me? Do you love this world more than you do me? Your boat, your nets, your fish, your bank account? Do you love them more than me? Peter, being Peter, and if you look at the Strong's on this, in the first two times, so in this one, he's saying, do you love me? It's agape love, which is the God kind of love. Okay, It's not the filio love, which is that familiar love that we know, that worldly love that you and I know. But Peter answers him. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses the word filio. I'm going to read it to you here in a minute out of the least because he does a really good job with this. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, agape. Do you agape love me? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I 
Filio, love you. Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. Now, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you, Filio, love me? Jesus changed his word because Peter was not able to receive agape. Peter was only able to receive Filio. All right? Peter was grieved and hurt his heart because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, Filio, love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now let me, let me look at this in a week because you're going to like this. Um, and I do have it marked, so it'll be quicker. So, in the Weast, it says, Then when they had breakfast, breakfasted, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, the son of Jonas, Do you have a love for me called out of your heart by my preciousness to you? Do you have a love for me called out of your heart by my preciousness to you? A devotional love that impels you to sacrifice yourself for me. Okay, he's talking agape, right? <clears throat> Do you consider me more precious and thus love me more than these fish? He says to him, yes, Lord, as for you, you know positively that I have an emotional fondness for you. Okay, so you're seeing the difference. He does a great job, the difference between agape and filio here. I have an emotional fondness for you. He says to him, be feeding my little lambs. Now Jesus says to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you have a devotional love for me called out of your heart by my preciousness to you, a love that impels you to sacrifice yourself for me. Again, he hits agape. Okay? And Peter again says to him, Yes, Lord. As for you, you know positively that I have a friendly feeling for you. Jesus is talking agape. Peter can only deal with philia. Now, Jesus said to him, be shepherding my sheep. He says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you have, and he changes his verbiage to match Peter's because he sees where Peter is at, what Peter can receive and what he can't receive. <clears throat> He says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you have a friendly feeling and affection for me? Peter was grieved that he said to him the third time, do you have a friendly feeling and affection for me? And he said to him, Lord, as for you, all things you know positively, 
you know from experience that I have a friendly feeling and affection for you. Jesus says to him, be feeding my sheep. Now he goes on to tell him how he's going to die, by what means and all of that. That's not what this message is about. But you can see here, Jesus had to bring himself down to Peter's level. Because Peter was not able to receive agape. Just as a side note, when we run into that person, especially if they're in our family, where you can't get them to know and understand agape, take it down to Philio. Take it down to that friendly affection that you have as a family member or somebody you work with or something like that. Follow the example Jesus set here because there's going to come a time and a place where they're going to just be overwhelmed by your light. But they've got to be around you often enough and feel comfortable enough around you to experience that light in little pieces until they develop that affection for you. And then you can start preparing them for receiving the light themselves. Some people are ready on the spot. You notice he just approached Peter. He didn't approach John. Why? John was the disciple that loved him. John was already there. But Peter was struggling with it. And that's why when you continue to read in Acts, it's so very vital because what you will see is Peter, after receiving the Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he gets a revelation of agape. And that carries him through some of the worst persecutions a man can experience. Okay? And so that's so very vital. But there's, to me, there's significance in the fact that he, he denied him three times and then Jesus sat there across from him and asked him about love three times. Because it was his filio that was not strong enough to stand with Jesus through his persecutions. He needed agape. And so when you look back at things like when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus took Peter, John, and I think James with him and He wanted them to stay awake and pray while He went off and prayed, when you now look at that situation through this light, you see and you understand Jesus was trying to prepare Him so that when persecution came, agape love would be in Peter and Peter would be able to stand with Jesus but they slept. They didn't pray. They slept. And so when the time came for persecution, agape was not in Peter. And Peter denied Jesus three times. John was the only disciple that stayed. That's huge. That's huge. Um, just like as, as being believers in Christ, we just can't pray when we think we need to. Mm-hmm. We do it daily throughout the day. Right. Yeah, and as you grow and mature in the in the Word and in the Lord, you're going to find there's going to be times unexplainably 
when you feel the urge to pray, whether it's in tongues or it's in, in English or whatever language, there's going to be times where He's going to put something in front of you and, and you can either pray it out or you can, you can just dismiss it, right? And everybody's got testimony. Somebody's face comes before them, somebody's name pops up in their ears, whatever it is, or a situation unfolds in front of them, and the Lord touches them and says, do this. And we have the choice, because we have free will, to say no, or to say yes. No, that's uncomfortable, I can't do that. Or yes, it's uncomfortable, but because agape, I'm going to do it. Because I know it's not me. It's not my power. It's not my words. It's not my authority. None of it's mine. Even the thought to pray a specific way or over a specific person or a situation when it comes up in us, it's not ours. It's His. But we're the vessel that brings it into this world. So, one little thing. See, and it is still before the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In John 21, verses 20 to 23, it says, Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved, who also leaned against his bosom at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So he's speaking about John. So Peter's looking back. He's seeing John following him. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Because you got to remember, the verses I didn't read are the verses that tell Peter how he's going to die. And so now he's seeing John following them, and he's saying to Jesus, what about this guy? Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Jesus is saying, mind your business. I will do with him as I please. It is none of your concern. It's like being at work. Or growing up, just as Daddy would say, you do this and that. Well, why well, I do this? Don't you worry about what I'm saying to him. Yep. What I didn't say to say yeah. to John or Keith. You yeah. just do what I'm telling you. you know, yep. Like, I'm worried about something else. Yeah, because really what you're saying is, I don't want to go do this by myself. If I've got to go do this, everybody needs to go do this. Well, Peter's doing the same thing. If I've got to go through this persecution, everybody needs to go through this persecution. If I'm going to die this way, I want everybody to die this way. Because I don't want to go through it alone. And Jesus is telling him, mind your business. Yeah, and listen earlier, listen to what I'm telling you. Yep. Yeah. Now he goes on in verse 23, and it says that the saying went out among the brothers that the, this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? 
And so that little thing, I threw that in there because we do this all the time. We take something said and we add our own little special something to it and then we apply it in a way that it was never meant to be applied. And it doesn't end well when you do that. What happens when you apply electricity the wrong, the wrong way? Yeah. Somebody's going to receive it. It might be you. It may be your neighbor. It may be your air conditioner. You know, you don't know. It may be your own house. You might black out a whole neighborhood. So we have to be careful about taking something and applying it incorrectly or taking something that was meant for a specific purpose and trying to make it generic and applying it to every purpose. The Word of God has over 7,000 promises in it. And so we don't have to just latch on to one promise and make that promise the end all for everything that's coming into our life. We need to grow and be mature in the Word and to know and to understand. You don't have to know the promises by heart, but you need to know how to find them. And if you can find them, then you should know how to use them. Right? So, again, our text, we'll end with this. Acts 1, 1 through 5. The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, concerning all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, appearing to them for 40 days, and speaking concerning the kingdom of God. Being assembled with them, he commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, of which you have heard from me. For John baptized with water. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If there is no other scripture in the Word of God that proves that there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit, and there's many actually, this one, this one calls it out distinctly. And it's from Jesus Himself. And so it does exist, it is true, and it's ours. But you see how Jesus was teaching His disciples and His apostles to be teachers. And those teachers taught another generation how to be disciples and teachers. And another generation, and another generation, and another generation. And our generation is going to do it. And the next generation will do it. It doesn't matter what the world says about the generation after us. Jesus said. The great commandment. Jesus said. Go. He didn't say, ask them if they believe. Ask them if they're mature enough. Ask them if they're willing to work. He said, go do the work. Let them decide. Don't worry about that. Just like Peter looking back at John and going, what about him? We don't need to even worry about the people afterwards 
Okay, whether they receive or they don't receive, the primary concern is, did you do what Jesus told you to do? They still have free will. They can still say no. They can still say yes. If they say yes, walk walk with them through it, if they're willing. Because some people will be like, Johnny on the spot, ready to go. And some people will say, yes, let me take this at a very slow pace because... I've got a lot that I have to unpack in order to repack Jesus, right? Some of us have got baggage that we got to get rid of. And so I hope you got something out of this today.